and welcome to my weekly podcast interview of In the House Seats with me, your host, Craig Bartley. This is where every Sunday we talk about all stuff regarding theatre, film, television and the ups and downs while training for the performing arts industry. Who knows, some things could even relate to your experiences as a theatre wannabe or participant. Or if you are a parent or guardian of a future performer, it may help you to understand about training and the entertainment industry from a different perspective and someone else's point of view. I will be speaking to professional performers, choreographers, adjudicators and industry leaders to find out more about them and their transitions and journeys from learning their crafts to the professionals that they are today. So all you have to do is sit back, relax and enjoy and listen in with us. Today in the house seats we have stage director and Olivia-nominated choreographer, Matt Cole. Hello, Matt. Hello. It's great to have you with me today in the house seats, and I'm so excited to delve into your career and get your views for my listeners about the industry, your career, and theatre life in general. So really, let's get to know Matt. Where are you from? Where did you go to school? And your time growing up. I am a born and bred Essex boy. There's a town called Colchester in in Essex and just off of Colchester, there is a little village on the river called Wivenhoe and that is a small little sailing village and that is where I grew up. I went to my first little local dance school down there, which was Jenny Overton's Colnebank School of Dancing and I did my first dance lessons down there. I went to a little primary school, tiny little primary school, which was beautiful, actually. It was right up on a hill that overlooked the river, and I loved primary school. And then I went to the next town along to a place called Brightlingsea, which is where I went to secondary school. How were you at school? Were you academic? Did you like school? I was quite studious, I have to say. I did, I did work hard at stuff, but my... Natural abilities at school were very much creative. Me and my brother were, were sort of the polar opposites of each other. My brother was very good at the sciences and mathematics. So my brother did his GCSE maths in year nine. And I did my English GCSE in year nine. So two years early, I took my English GCSE. Right. But I almost failed my maths. So we were the exact opposites of it. I, maths made no sense to me. I would look at it and the teacher would stand there and be like, you know, A plus B equals C. And I would look at it and think, but they're letters. They make words. I don't have that logical brain like that. Going back to your dancing school, though, were there many boys in your, in your class? No, I started late dancing. I didn't start properly training till I was about 12 years old. But before that, at school, I, I did a lot of gymnastics and I went to, I was, you know, part of the Colchester gymnastics team. And I did do a tiny little dance class that came out of the school, like an after school club. And when I went to secondary school, there was a school trip to London and it was to see um, Starlight Express. And that was the first show I ever saw. And we're on the school bus and I saw it. And I remember being, it was magical. I didn't know that like those worlds existed. I didn't know you could sit in a theatre and just, and lights came on and set moved and people skated past me and people were singing. And I'd know it was just 
it was magical to me that. I remember going back to school and I remember my science teacher saying to me, oh, you know, did you enjoy the show last night? And I went, yeah, I, that's what I'm going to do. Oh, I hear you on this, I tell you. But well, she said to me, she went, she went, can you dance? And I went, well, no, not really. And she went, you need to go to a dance school. She goes, go home, tell your mum and dad. So I went home, told my mum and dad. My dad gets out the yellow pages. <laughs> As he was in those days. Find the local dance school that was in the village, phones up the teacher, and then the next week I went along. And never looked back. And I remember my dad saying to me, I remember it was 75 quid for the term, for the whole term at the dance school. And I remember my dad saying to me, he was like, listen, I'll pay it, but you have to go to every single class. He said, you can't, you can't start this and then decide a week later that you don't want to do it. And I was like, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. And I went and I was 12 years old and I was put into the class. So I'm a 12 year old boy and I was put into the beginner's ballet with the, with the tots. And, and I was the only boy there and yeah, carried on. God, look at where you are today. I, I hear you on that because I remember years ago, my mum never believed, oh, it's very different nowadays. My mum and myself were literally each other's friends. We still are. And my mum trained me at her dancing school initially. Wow. She's had it 60 years this year, actually. Jackie Lynn Dance Studios in Kent. Yeah. And mum never, ever sent me to school on my birthday. That was our day together. And she always used to talk, like, we used to go for lunch and we go up to London because mum's down in Rochester in Kent. And we go up to London and we go and see a show and then we go and have lunch together. And that was my day with mum. And I remember she tried and tried to get tickets for, there was some particular show that I wanted to see and she couldn't get them. And I remember we ended up having lunch at the Angus. I remember this vividly. It's really weird. I'm going back to like when I was 10 or whatever. And I remember mum saying, oh, we've, I'm going to go to Yanger Steakhouse in Argyle Street. It was it those days next to the play. Yeah. Yeah. And we walked past and she said to me, she said, oh, what's this man? He was, an, he was an old ticket tout. And he said it was absolutely packed. And she got, she paid to stand in the Royal Circle, at the back of the Royal Circle, and watch Barnum with Michael Crawford. It had only just opened. Now, I'd already done some shows. I'd done lots of filming and bits and pieces. But it was that crucial time in somebody's life that you think, where am I going with this? And I remember she took me and we stood there. We were mesmerized, literally mesmerized. And I said in the interval, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And that was because really it clicked in there and then. Because I was in like the cricket team at school and football team and all that. But it, it absolutely clicked in. That is my vocation. It does click in. and I think. I do also think that's why I then found the academic stuff at school, the stuff that I was good at clicked into place because from 12 years old, I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. I, I, I made a decision that I knew what it was, whereas everybody else at that age at school, you know, you have your careers lesson and, you know, you have to make your, your options and your choices for your GCSEs and all of that. And they were struggling with that. And mine, I never struggled because I knew what it was. And I sort of somewhere in the back of my head knew that reading and English was probably quite a useful thing to be good at if you're going to go into theatre to understand storytelling. Yes. And, you know, and have an opinion on that. So then in terms of sort of my choices, that all became very, very easy. School was not easy. 
and you know, being the only boy in in the dance school was not easy. That came with it a whole separate, you know, challenges. But were you bullied, or how, did you have a good time at school being a boy dancer? No, I, secondary school was massively bullied. Yeah, me too. It was massive, massively bullied. I loved primary school. I felt very safe, very comfortable. I adored my teachers and couldn't wait every day to run to primary school. I loved it. I got to secondary school. Also, you know, I suffered a couple of things at secondary school. One was I was a boy and I was a dancer and I went to ballet classes. And where I went to the the school, the, the dance school, it's moved now. It was where the local youth club was. Right. And so on a Friday night, I'm in a ballet class with girls and the youth club's happening in the other room. And I had all sorts of things. I had people spit through the window, throw little roll-up newspapers, set it on fire, throw it through the door at me, called names. And all of that sort of then transfers into school. You know, so school was, school was the same. It was really tough and very isolating. But... It didn't break me, actually, and in a way that I think it might have done. And I think it didn't break me because I always knew what I wanted. Yeah, likewise, I I blocked out school. It was absolute hell. From the time that I would literally walk up the hill to it coming towards me to the time that I left, it was hell every day. And do you know what? I've worked in secondary schools and there's a lot of secondary schools which are still like that to this day. Yeah. And even for a girl that dances. Yeah. And it's literally it, down to jealousy. It's nothing more it's, than it, jealousy. There's a certain thing. I was just different. It's hard because as an adult, you then spend half your time trying to not be the thing you were at school. So you, you go through your adult life thinking, oh, God, I mustn't, you know, I mustn't be too effeminate. And, and actually, I think I did all of that. And then I got to a point, you get to a point where you think, I am just what I am. And the world just has to like it or not like it. But I, I don't have the energy anymore to try and be anything other than who I am as myself. But I wasn't ever allowed to be who I was in my formative years growing up. No, I, I hear you completely. And what I was in my formative years growing up was bullied and ridiculed. Yeah. There is always going to be a part of you as an adult that desperately tries not to be that person. So you went on to train vocationally at Lane Theatre Arts in Epsom, Surrey. How was college life for you? College life was brilliant. It was change of lifestyle. I was suddenly surrounded by people that were like me, that were, I wasn't the only boy anymore dancing. I was surrounded by people that loved and were passionate about the same things that I was. The training was hard and it was competitive and you had to keep up. You did have to keep up, but I loved it. I loved every minute of it. and. I was doing the thing that I genuinely wanted to do every day. And, and I was dancing and I was singing and I was acting and I was being pushed and I was being challenged. I remember distinctly, I remember going in as a first year and, 
you know, I'd started dance late, but I'd I'd caught up a bit by then. I had, but I remember looking through the window at a third year jazz class as a first year, and literally my jaw was on the floor because I I didn't know people could dance like that. I had no idea that that was even possible. So I just kept my head down and and worked hard and got on with it. I I truly loved it. I had a great time. Brilliant. And did you have a favourite genre that you liked training in? I was an all-rounder. I, was, I wasn't particularly more dance to more singing. I really enjoyed the singing and the acting side of it. But I loved myself a Barbara Evans jazz class. Right, right. <laughs> cliche saying that because pretty much everybody that comes out of lanes from my ear will say that. Um, <laughs> but I loved it. I'd not trained in that way before and I'd never... It was different being at my local dance school. The inspiration was different. They, it was... Yes, it was about technique and it was about all of those things, but it was also about passion and performance and feeling it and making yeah. sure that you understanding music. And, and I loved that. I loved it. There was, to me, and I guess it is part of childhood, there was nothing better than putting music on and dancing around and just getting lost. I loved that. It was, it was phenomenal. And it was hard. The training was hard. It was tough, but it was... It did make you fight more for it. It did make you fight more for it. And it got a whole lot of us where we are now. Yeah, absolutely. What are your views on training these days? Because my college is very, very small. And the reason for that is because they get such an independent learning system. And everybody goes out and works. Everybody gets an agent and they're set up. There's a lot of colleges out there nowadays, which are very well established and quite old in on the scene, but they have a massive numbers. Now, I know Lane doesn't do that so much, but there are some out there that have huge numbers in classes. What's your views on this? Listen, like you, I've taught in pretty much all of them, or I've certainly been in and out of them. It's hard. I don't, I think some of them, the numbers are too big. Honestly, I think, I think you can't possibly give people the individual attention they deserve. I also think the industry can't sustain that amount of people coming into it every year. There's just not enough jobs. I also understand the other side of that, that these places need to make money to survive and, you know, they grow in certain ways and and, and that's what it is. But I think when I was training, it was small numbers in classes and therefore it was individual. I, we also trained every day, every hour of every day. And what I mean by that is lessons started at half eight in the morning and you didn't finish till five o'clock at night. And that day was full. Now what I see when I go to college, somebody has a class that's an hour in the morning and then they don't have another one till the afternoon. Because of the numbers, and I, I find that hard to sort of reconcile with. I tell you what, it happens. It's not particularly that they come out less technically trained. It, they they come out technically trained. What they don't have is stamina to get. And I've noticed that that you get into a rehearsal room, and I'm saying, I'm going right. We're going to rehearse this number from ten in the morning till six o'clock at night, and we're going to run it at least eight times. And when I left college, I would have had the stamina to do that. Yes. We trained all day long. Nowadays, that seems to be 
certainly from some people that you employed, that seems to be like, oh, wow, like we've got to do this. We've got to dance all day because we're in rehearsals and that's what it is. And also they're paying a lot of money to have consistent training and they're not getting it. Yeah. You know, which is a shame for the parent (laughs) if you can't get a daughter. advice for vocational students that are training and have just graduated especially if they audition for one of your shows i like to make my auditions as friendly and as personable as i possibly can and i think that goes back to me remembering how i felt when i used i only did well in auditions if i felt like the room was friendly if it felt like the table was in front of me and it was very much done. Next group, done. Next, I'd hate, I hated it. I was just, I found, I wasn't good at the pressure of that. So I try and remove that as much as I can in the room. Like I try and always to never sit behind a table. Right. And to just sit on the floor in front of people or just wander around the room. And I remember Rob Ashford, who I used to dance a lot for, I remember him doing that in auditions and I felt very much, it just felt like a rehearsal that I was in and therefore I was able to show what I could do better. So I try and do that. My advice to people coming in is listen to the information that you're given. Half the job that I have in the room is to try and you've got a show where you need eight people in the ensemble to dance and you're auditioning 500 people. So you've got to get it down somehow. Yeah. And a lot of what you do is you purposefully give very specific information in the room. And then you see those people that just don't take that information are the first to go. Yeah. So listen as much as you can in the room. If you are stuck, ask a question. I'm not a massive fan of people trying to, you know, inventing questions for the sake of being noticed. Yeah. You know, but if you've genuinely got a question, ask, ask the question. There will be people there to help you. Do the best you can. Try and enjoy it. If you go wrong, don't beat yourself up over it. You know, that happens all the time. It's, I also think for me personally, and this is just me, I've pretty much decided who I want before we dance in small groups. And that is simply by just walking around the room, watching people, seeing how they react to learning it, seeing those that are just in the zone, trying to do it, those that are looking at them at the side of the room and they're still going through it, they're still working on it, they're still listening to other corrections to other people. So they're the sort of people that immediately catch your eye. Yeah. Then a lot of the time before you dance in sort of smaller groups, I've already like sort of put a tick next to those that you're interested in. Right. And then you're hoping that those ones are going to be good. And come up with the goods. Yeah. There's not a whole lot you can do other than just go in and do try and do what you're being asked and do it with a smile on your face. I used to try and use auditions as a class, a learning tool, a class. (laughs) And if, if you enjoy the class, you're going to enjoy the job or enjoy what you're offering to the client. I think also never assume that you're not good enough. Lots of auditions means producers paying lots of money. So often that process is truncated so that 
sometimes you'll end up with movers and dancers in the same audition. So you end up with a dance routine that is one size fits all. And that is simply about time and money. And I've had it in the time where I've had, you know, a couple of people come up to me and go, I'm so sorry, Matt, I I think I'm going to leave because I just can't keep up with everybody else in the room. And I'm like, oh my God, please don't leave because you're number one on my list for the track that I'm looking at you for. And I don't need you to keep up with those people because I'm looking at them for something completely different. Yeah, yeah. I just need to know that you, that there is something about you that can nearly keep up with them. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally get that. Since when you first trained and also worked on your first job, do you think that dance styles have changed for the better or worse to fit today's social current trends? They've certainly changed. And I I actually think nowadays it's sort of slightly becoming better. I personally, and I'm I'm sure other people disagree with me on this, I think the standard is higher than it was when I graduated. Right. I think what these kids can do nowadays is phenomenal. The technique of what they have is quite extraordinary. Where I didn't like it for a while is that it all felt very acrobatic. Yeah. And that was not something that I enjoyed that much, that it was all about, I don't know, how many walkovers or, or you know, no-handed cartwheels you could do, you know, how many turns you could do holding your leg in the air. And, I, and that's great, but I used to think to myself, I'm not entirely sure where I can use any of that in a show. I have exactly the same thing. And I think I look at all that and I think, yes, but can you actually dance? Yeah, exactly. And because of social media and because of Instagram and all of those, and everybody is now, which didn't happen when I was around, everybody posts videos of themselves dancing. And what that does is it slightly over time trends shift because somebody new comes along and posts something that's a bit different that no one's done before. And everybody then wants to learn what that thing is. And I do think recently in the last year or so, it seems to be moving back towards dance and the feel of it and the style and that side of it rather than who can shoulder their leg. Yeah, I agree. Now, even though you are a really talented choreographer, has there ever been a time when you've thought, no, this isn't for me anymore? Uh, yes. And more regularly than it probably should. I think I, I mean, we just like everybody else, you get knockbacks even as creatives and you it gets hard work and you doubt yourself and you look around the room and you think everybody else is better than you. And you think that you, why would anybody give you the job? And, you know, all the time. I think that's because we work in such a rejective industry that it's instilled on us that if we get a contract or if we get something out of it, that's an adulation. Whereas you go with the norm of just don't expect. And if it happens, it happens. I I constantly have to remind myself what it is that I enjoy about it. And I I often have to take myself, you know, like 20 years back to when I just loved it and, and, and why, and what did it feel like? And, and I remember that my love of it was not about winning awards or pleasing critics or, 
outdoing somebody else or getting the job over somebody, you know, all of those things can make you feel like it's not fun anymore. And, and actually when you get rid of all of that and you take yourself back to a place where you think, I just, I love this bit of music and I love this story. And I'm just going to imagine myself as a 13 year old kid again. And what would I create? What could, what, what does, what can my brain come up with? And you forget about everything else around it. And you take yourself to that place. And for me, that's when I'm, I do my best stuff, I think. But it's very easy to, to get into, you know... The motion and the feel of it all. The, the rejection and the feeling like you're not getting anywhere and, and actually focusing on those things. I've never been very good at looking behind me and saying, oh, wow, look at what you've already done. Look at the knowledge you've already gained. I've always been somebody that's trying to get 10 feet in front of me. Yeah, (laughs) we're very similar. (laughs) Sometimes you've just got to stop. And I have, in recent years, as I've got older, been able to look back and think, do you know what, if it all ended now, I'd, I'd be happy because I, I can look back on everything that I've done and be really proud of it. So you really should be. And, and part of being able to do that actually just means the future can open up a bit more because you're much more receptive to... New ideas and things. New ideas, yeah. Yeah. Now, you initially started your professional career as a dancer in musical theatre, although now you have many credits as a director too. Some of your credits for this are productions such as Pippin, The Secret Garden, Sweet Charity, Carmen La Cubana, that's a mouthful, and also resident director on West Side Story on Tour and the King's Cross version of The Railway Children which was staged on an actual platform. Tell us about some of these productions. They are all very, very different. I really enjoy the directing side of stuff as well as the choreography, but I enjoy the process of sitting. It goes back to sort of my English days and and reading a book and sort of discussing it and talking about what is it about and could it be like this or like this. And I love that on a new show when you go into directing something and you sit there and you read it and what I read and what you read and then my thoughts might be different to your thoughts. I mean, just trying to work out what is it about and who are these people and why are we telling these stories? And I've loved doing that. I guess taking two of them in contrast, the railway children at King's Cross was brilliant because the intricacy of the staging was was very, very, very very clever, trying to manipulate that. But they were actors that wanted constant inspiration so they would constantly come and say I've been looking at this bit of the dialogue I've been looking at this line you know I've been playing it like this for ages and I'm a bit bored of the way I'm doing it can we have a talk about what else I could do here and I loved those conversations about keeping things alive and keeping things moving and rediscovering the text on all of those things the other show that I loved doing was Carmen La Cabana and that is it's Carmen Jones, the film. Oh, right, yeah. 
And it was reorchestrated by Alex Lacamoire, who orchestrated Hamilton. He reorchestrated it. And it was set in Havana, in Cuba, and it was performed with an entirely Cuban Spanish speaking cast. Wow. So everything that I had to do on that show had to be done through an interpreter. Those dancers and those performers, because we rehearsed it in Havana, in Cuba, and those dancers and performers were sensational. They work, they don't have any rules over there in terms of work, so they just work. So it was the most bizarre experience because you'd you'd set a rehearsal for 10 a.m., and they'd turn up at 10.30 and then they would hug you. Everyone has to have a hug when you come in. Then, we, then everyone has to have a coffee. So at about half 11, the choreographer would say, right, let's, let's start creating. But then they wouldn't stop until midnight. Right. They would just keep going. Work through, and yeah. Even when the stage manager said, okay, it's time to finish rehearsals here, they would, the cast would go, no, 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 we want to get this right. We're going to carry on. And they just created, they were amazing to watch, really phenomenal to watch. As a choreographer, your credits are massive with such shows as Berlin, Berlin, Lovesick, Oklahoma, The Beautiful Game, Parade, Amour, which won the Best New Musical Office Award. The Sweet Smell of Success, The Producers on the Asian and Chinese Tour, Flashdance, Footloose, Sideshow, Little Shop of Horrors, Rags, Bette Midler and Me, as well as many, many more. Do you have a favourite out of those just mentioned? Yes. I I mean, I've loved all of them. They've all been incredible experiences. And I've learned something different on all of them. I have three favourites there. Go for it. They're all for different reasons. I'll start with, I loved, absolutely adored working on Oklahoma down in Chichester. And the reason that I loved doing that is I had the ability to sit with Jeremy Sams and Nigel Lilly, and we got to reorchestrate all of the music around the dance numbers. So I was allowed to, with Jeremy and with Nigel, to storyboard, first of all, what was going to happen in those dance numbers. And then Nigel and Jeremy wrote the dance arrangements to match my storyboard. Wow, that's amazing. When it came to choreographing that show, every beat of that music had been created for a reason that we had come up with. And that became like the most enjoyable experience ever. So I loved working with that and I loved working with the dancers down there. That was was a phenomenal experience. Another experience that was just you know, an incredible time for me was Fiddler on the Roof that I did at the Chocolate Factory with Trevor Nunn. That was a sort of a game-changing experience for me that Trevor had seen. He he actually saw Sweet Smell of Success that I did at the Royal Academy of Music and was looking for a choreographer to do Fiddler on the Roof. And I had a phone, I was away working in Germany and I had a phone call and I answered the phone and this voice said, is that Matt? And I said, yes. I said, who's this? And they said, it's Trevor. And I thought, I don't know any Trevor. <laughs> thought, who's Trevor? And then I slowly, actually, slowly after this guy kept talking to me, I was like, 
It's Trevor Nunn. Trevor Nunn, yeah. He's lovely. He's so lovely. And I, again, I, that experience, again, it was, it was so creative. Trevor would feed ideas through and then I would just go away and come up with stuff and then he would hug you. It was, you know, it yeah. was amazing. It was an amazing experience. So that was an incredible time. And the other one that I've always adored is Amour working on that. And I've, I worked on, I do a lot of work with a director called Hannah Chiswick and I've learned a lot from her about directing, staging, actors, visions. And we've got ourselves into a routine now where we just have a, a language between us. And that's been an amazing journey for us to, to go on where we can read the same thing or listen to the same piece of music and and have the same ideas as each other and understand each other when she will ask for something and I will immediately know what that means and, and vice versa. And a more was sort of a product of that experience. So that yeah. was also a joyous, a joyous time. Great collaboration for sure. Now, going back to Fiddler on the Roof, it was one of your biggest credits to integrate the Jerome Robbins original work alongside your own, which gained you an Olivia Award nomination. How did you find this process? It was a really interesting process. Trevor asked me to do it at the Chocolate Factory, and then I had to go out to New York, and I had to sit in an office, and I had to meet the people who run the Jerome Robbins estate. And I had to talk through exactly what you're saying. How would I use the original ideas of Jerome Robbins and integrate them into this new production and also put my ideas and Trevor's ideas and weave them into it? And I had to sort of go through moment by moment of the show and and talk through those ideas. And also Trevor had very sort of specific ideas of things that he absolutely wanted to redo and, and completely change. So for example, you know, the bottle dance happens in Fiddler on, on the Roof is the inspiration of Jerome Robbins. They did a bottle dance in their version. Now it is not step by step what the original is. And it's certainly not staged in that way, but it's the inspiration of having the bottle dance and taking that music is from Jerome Robbins. Right. And the same in Into Life, the idea that the Russians dance against the Jewish community and there's this dance off and Tevye gets involved and eventually learns to dance with them are all storyboarded through Jerome Robbins and what the music is, the dance content of that is, some of it is in the inspiration of what was original, but a lot of that, it was new. A lot of that was was remade up. And I sort of had to sort of go through that process with Trevor and with the Jerome Robbins estate and work out where we would do that and and, and where we wouldn't. So for example, the opening number tradition what was originally staged, there is none of that in the opening number. Like that was something that Trevor was very particular about wanting to revisit and do a different version of that. 
I didn't have a whole lot of opportunity to study the Jerome Robbins stuff in that in in that much depth because all I was actually like I, I went to New York and I met with the estate and then I went to the Lincoln Center Library and I was allowed to watch the original 1960s version and you're allowed to watch it once and you can stop. Is, and that, you- is that the version that Bette Midler was in? No, that's not the version that Bette Midler was in. The version that's in the Lincoln Centre Library, I, I think is not the original original. I think it's like the second production. Oh, right. Okay. Of it. When they, and it's sort of like a, quite a bad archive recording of it. Right. And you're allowed, you're obviously, you're not allowed to film anything in there. You can't take your phone in and, and watch it. So you're allowed to rewind and you're allowed to sort of pause, but you, that's all you can do. So, and you have like a, a window, a slot that you're allowed. And that's all I did. I was sort of went in there. I sat there with, my, with a notepad, wrote out some of the ideas, wrote down, and that was, that was it. And then went back to London and started inventing. And did they see your version of it? Yes, yes, they did. They they saw it at the chocolate factory before it then moved into into the Playhouse Theatre. Now, on television, you have worked as assistant choreographer working on the dance sequences for BBC Strictly Come Dancing. What's the process like to get out the routines on time each week? Fast. (laughs) I I worked on that a few years ago now with the incredible choreographer Karen Bruce. And she's really where I learned... I learned how to choreograph in terms of how you put a number together through watching her and through watching how she listened to music, how she broke music down, how she planned her ideas around that. And and I really owe her that because I learned that from her. And on those shows, we would go in, she'd have mapped out her ideas me and another assistant would go into a studio with Karen and we'd work out the sort of general gist of a dance break or a dance routine. We would then, you know, the next day go in and meet the, the pro dancers from Strictly and you'd probably have about two days, if that, put this number together and then it was out on TV live. Yeah. How very, it's a very quick process, much different to theatre. There's, yeah. no, there's, there's not much time to change your ideas. Whereas in theatre, you can put something on the stage or in a rehearsal room, decide you don't like it and redo it. Yes, yeah. I love Karen. She's very inspiring. Now, let's go back to theatre for a moment, to working at the Chichester Festival Theatre on the musical Guys and Dolls, which then transferred to the West End. Who did you assist and what was it like to restage the choreography for this latest production? So that was that was another wonderful production. And that was there was two choreographers involved there. So there was Carlos Acosta. There's a sequence in Guys and Dolls that goes to Cuba, goes to in the show, goes to Havana. So we did a workshop basically with Carlos, a, a two-week workshop where he outlaid a version of that Havana sequence using his Cuban choreography and using that Cuban star within him. And he also, from his balletic point of view, looked at the crapshooters ballet and, right. and did a real sort of good overview of that crapshooters ballet. We then teamed up with Andrew Wright, who came in, 
and, and it was Andrew's job to sort of do amalgamate all of that stuff together, put his own stuff into it, and also do all the other bits, like sit down, you're rocking the boat, and the opening number, and, and all of those stuff. So my job was to sort of bring Carlos's stuff to Andrew, and then let Andrew amalgamate it all together. Right. How that sort of, which is how the end version came up. And, and it was great. And what was created was pretty good. It was, it was breathtaking, actually. I thought it was great. Well, with Carlos Acosta, I mean, with the Havana section, I mean, it couldn't be any more authentic because that's where he's exactly. from. Exactly. <laughs> so it's completely on key there. Changing the subject now from work, what have you been up to in lockdown and have you learned any new skills or taken up a new hobby? I've, yes, I've been up to a few things, actually. I, I set up my own sort of version of a training programme called London Theatre Runway. But this is specifically for people that have graduated from college. So it is only for people who are either in the industry or have you have to have finished your vocational training to be part of it. And it runs at a weekend on a Saturday and a Sunday. And on a Saturday, there's just a full day of classes. And then on a Sunday, we try and bring different sort of people from the industry in to come and hold a workshop or a masterclass. And the idea is that people can train on a Saturday and connect with different people on a Sunday. So we've set that up. and. We managed to do the whole of last term. We do, it does 10 weekends, basically. And we did the whole of last term. This term, obviously, with all of the schools, everything's yeah. been shifted. But we're hoping that we'll be able to go again after the February half term, if we're allowed. So that was one thing that we've done and set up, and that's been working quite well. I've also, with a friend of mine, Morgan, we've set up our own small what is essentially, it's not really a production company because we haven't done anything yet, but the idea was to come up with different ideas for shows and then go to different writers and commission those writers to write ideas based on things that we've come up with. And we've been doing a lot of stuff on that and working with different writers at the moment and and working on different shows to be written. So been keeping myself busy actually and, and trying to trying to use the time as best I can. I've done, I'm more prepped on any show coming up in the future than I've ever been because. Right. There's a lot of reading time, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. It's been good. It sounds really productive and exciting. It's, I like exciting new things to develop, which is um, good on the scene, you know. musicals you have a massive love in your life sunday roasts <laughs> so many of my people that i interview they just love a good old sunday roast but what's what's your favorite beef beef i don't beef. eat beef oh no i don't like beef not when i found out it was horse <laughs> i love it I love a good beef Sunday roast, Yorkshire puddings, roast potatoes, gravy. Oh, the, the whole bag. British thing, though, isn't it? It's the something yeah. that's sort of like that's what you do on a Sunday. 
Yeah. Like, you meet your mates, you have a Sunday roast, or you have it with your family. And it's, I think it's, I associate it with time out. It's time away from work and it's either family time or friends time. And that's, it's sort of the, the place you meet to do it. Yeah. And so many people love a roast. No, I totally hear you because mine's chicken, chicken roast every time. Throughout your career, obviously, you have worked with many stars and named celebrities along the way. Are there any favourites that you've worked with that come to mind? Yes, I think when I, the production of Guys and Dolls that I was in was at the Piccadilly Theatre and that was directed by Michael Brandage and choreographed by Rob Ashford. And that had Ewan McGregor, Jane Krakowski, Douglas Hodge and Jenna Russell as the leads in that production. And they were the most adorable people to work with. They all, all of them, Jane, Ewan McGregor, Douglas Hodge, Jenna, their, their dressing room door was always open. The kettle was always on. And you could, any, any person in the cast could walk in, sit down, make a cup of tea in their room. And numerous times you'd walk, because obviously Ewan McGregor's room was closest to the stage. And you'd walk past and he'd be like, oh, I've got to go, I'm doing a 20 minute scene, but help yourself to a 10. Be, there'd be like 10 people in his dressing room having a cup of tea while he was on stage. And it, that was quite a special cast. And, and I think it was... Those principles absolutely made it feel like an ensemble show. Yeah, family unit. It's very important. Like because, a family unit. And yeah, it, because they, it's better because you can feed off of each other better as in a more natural way. Yeah. Now, even though theatres are closed at present, is there anything on the cards for you for when they open up again, or can't you say at present? There's there's a couple of things I can say, and there's a couple of things I can't say. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> um, so the things that I mean, all of I guess everything is tentative at the moment. But I, I guess the thing that I'm most looking forward to is in the summer. I'm doing a production called Identical, which is based on the movie The Parent Trap. Oh wow! Um, that is going to be directed by Trevor Nunn. Oh. And so we get to work with each other again, which is amazing. And Rob Jones is going to do the set design, which we worked with on Fiddler, which was exciting. The music and lyrics is Stars and Drew, and they've done an amazing job at that. It's, it sounds fantastic. That'd um, be amazing. So I that that's, film. that's sort of the one, because that that's sort of August time. And I'm hoping that anything that by then we should be in a great place to to work and we'll be able to go and do that. So I'm very excited about doing that. I then go back off to Germany to do Berlin, Berlin. We're going to take that out again on a German tour. And then very excitingly after that, which sort of takes us into 2022, but we're going to do a production of Memphis that is going to start in South Africa and then come over and do a UK tour. Fantastic. So you've got your work cut out for sure. Well, hopefully, hopefully we'll see. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Wow. I hope it's another hit for you. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy to chat with you today and learn more about you and your career along with my listeners. I cannot wait to see your next choreography come to life in your next works. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you. Unfortunately, that's it for this week. However, don't forget to tune in every Sunday for my next guest in the house seats. Chat soon. 
This broadcast can be heard on my personal website at www.craigbartley.com or tune in on Spotify, iTunes, and don't forget to give us a five-star review, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Worldwide, Amazon, and by looking up In the House Seats with Craig Bartley. 